and welcome to Music for Life Radio, where we power your potential to build mental fitness with music that supports your life. I am Judith Pinkerton, a licensed music therapist and founder of Music for Life. I am so glad you decided to join us as we explore together this month's national theme of mental health awareness. We'll find music's capability of reducing anger, interviewing a board-certified music therapist from our western region of the United States of America. As we tackle anger problems that can destroy mental fitness, I've invited an expert on our show today who has dealt with thousands of people experiencing significant anger problems. Our special guest today is Mary Alvarado, a board-certified music therapist who works full-time at DSH Atascadero State Hospital in Central California. Welcome to Music for Life, Mary. Great to be here, Judith. (laughs) You know, you have such an interesting job working with inmates at this maximum security forensic hospital. Let's board a time capsule and go back, way back in history, to that time when you participated in a high school Christmas musical. What happened that gave you the notion that music impacted people beyond just listening to it? Well, it was very interesting. We um, I attended a Catholic high school, and so obviously Christmas time, the little Christmas musical was, you know, it was called Joy. And it Mary, was kind of a, a Mary, I'm going to interrupt you real quick because you are breaking up, and our listeners are not able to hear clearly what you are saying. I know when we before the show you were coming on really clearly, so I don't know if you changed positioning with the phone. Let's try it again. Okay, so let's move a little bit. How does that? How am I sounding now? It's a little bit clearer. Keep going. Okay, I'm sitting here next to an almond grove in. Central California on the way home from Mother's Day. Is that any better? Uh, it's a little bit better. There's still some breakup happening. Okay, because on my phone I've got five bars. Okay. I'm wondering if you can uh, shoot yourself in a different direction. Excuse us, listeners, while we take care of this technical difficulty just to make sure you can hear Mary's words. Okay. Um, how's that? It's still oh, a little bit warbly. Okay. Um, hold on one second. Oh, that was better. I don't know what you did. Okay. Trying to get out from underneath wires. Okay. Is that better? It. Uh, yeah, keep going. Let's, let's find out about this Christmas musical. <laughs> okay. So, um... Anyway, so we we decided to take our show on the road, and it was an up, you know, like a contemporary telling of the Christmas story. And so we took it to uh, what was then Pacific State Hospital, um, now Lannerman State Hospital, um, and performed it for the people with developmental disabilities. And there's one song called Joy that repeats four times in the show and during that time um, our arms would go up while we were singing and by about the fourth time these people were bringing up their hands they were you know singing along with us and it dawned on me at that point that it was like you know music has an impact here 
And, um, you know, because she didn't really expect that there would be this kind of a response. But it was it was really fascinating, and I was just a senior in high school at the time. Yeah. So then I know that, like many of us, you continued on your prearranged, well-thought-out course of action and embarked upon completing your B.A. in music at Cal State L.A. How did you bump into music therapy? Well, you know, it was very interesting. I was um, my concentration of voice. It was just a Bachelor of Arts in Music. And my voice teacher happened to mention that she had a private student who um, was using music to help people with strokes talk again. And I just said, okay, wait a minute, this is there's tell me more about this, you know, and she said, yeah, she she does music therapy with these people. And I said, okay, well, I got to find out more about this. So I contacted UCLA. They didn't know the program or USC. You know, I thought, you know, the big schools would know. And it turned out a little Long Beach State um, had a program. And um, so I contacted Dr. Kay Roscoe, who was the professor at that program, and got some information. Fast forward, I finished up my degree at L.A., transferred down to Long Beach, and um, completed the uh, equivalency certification at Long Beach State. And um, and then, you know, did an internship and then started my career. So for those of you that um, that are listening that don't know about the equivalency certificate, I actually also did the equivalency and it's very possible for musicians who have a music degree to be able to go back and do postgraduate work in completing all the music therapy coursework, including a, a six-month-long internship in order to be able to be qualified to pass the or sit the exam and get board certified um, at this time. So I know way back then we didn't have the actual board certification exam that's in place now. But, Mary, when you um, went through, you know, your different jobs, you know, how did you decide that you were going to land at Atascadero? What did that journey look like for you from graduating with your equivalency? And then and then what happened? Well, you know, it was interesting. Um we got this call when I was at Long Beach State um, that there was a, a psych center that was looking for a student to come and do music therapy. And um, uh, it was down at Community Health Center. And so I went over there and met the program director, and I ended up going there a couple times a week and just doing, like, individual, you know, room-to-room kind of stuff. Um, I did a group, and I realized I really liked psych. I really, really did. So I, uh, when I got out of school, I worked for a short time, well, for about a year for um, Portals House in Los Angeles, which was a uh, psychosocial rehab center. And that wasn't a full-time job, so I was looking for a full-time job. I worked um, a short time at uh, what was then um, Ingleside uh, Hospital Day Treatment Program. And then I got hired um at Metropolitan State Hospital in Norwalk, and that was in 1985, and that was just right around the time that the Certification Board for Music Therapy grandfathered all of us in as board-certified music therapists, and um, I was there for about 15 and a half years, and I worked with geriatrics, I worked with um, admissions, uh, 
for 10 years on admissions and then um, a little bit of time with an adolescent population that came over when Camarillo State Hospital closed and then a long-term unit. And um, during that time, I um, realized working on admissions that a high majority of the guys coming in had substance abuse issues as well. And so I went back to Cypress College in Orange County and took a um, alcohol and drug study certificate program. Um, and it really just changed the way I looked at music therapy, treatment, recovery, all of those kinds of things. And so then um, in 2000, I transferred up to um, Atascadero, and I've been there ever since. And it's just been an amazingly interesting ride. So, you know, when people hear um, of the kinds of people that you work with, um, it can strike fear in their heart. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, it's um, just just to wrap your head about around just even wanting, you know, to work with people that have had such significant challenges and problems and um, criminal behavior. you know, it's. Can you talk a little bit about how you're um, attracted to to being able to even work with that population and the significant challenges that they present? Well, we have um, three basic populations that are at the hospital. Um, the first one is what we call the mentally disordered offender, and basically, they get to the end of their prison term and they're found to be too. Uh, mentally ill and dangerous to be returned to the community. And so they're evaluated and the court orders them to do their parole at the state hospital. So sometimes those guys will come in, they'll be relatively stable, but sometimes they're not. Um, They are probably the the more angry of the people that come there because they really thought they were leaving, hitting the street, and they're not, and they're referred over. But having them there over a long period of time, you get to know them, um, some of them actually are grateful to have the opportunity to get treatment because they weren't getting it in their communities. Um, and so, you know, they work, they do, you know, a lot of things. Um, the other population that we have are what are known as the mentally ill inmates referred by the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. And essentially those are men who are... Um, incarcerated in the state prison system and become too uh, psychiatrically fragile to um, be in the population, even on the mental health units in the prison. And so they're in an acute phase of their illness, and they're sent to us for treatment, and then they go back to prison. Um, They tend to be the ones that are a little more stable. They kind of don't want to make, you know, ruffle anybody's feathers. They want to stay in a the soft environment of the hospital, excuse me, for as long as possible. Um, and then the population that I work with, which I find the most interesting, is um, the population that are incompetent to stand trial. And I work on the admissions unit, and so we get them fresh out of the jail. And you see at my hospital every level of society, race, population, that comes through that door. You'll have people that come in and this is their first arrest 
all the way to people that have been on the streets and in and out of, you know, facilities and jails and incarceration their whole lives. So it's such a wide variety of people. Um, uh, many of them are very mentally ill when they come in. They're, they've not been medicated. Um, some of them refuse meds. We have to get um, court orders for medication. But the most interesting thing about this population is they get better. They do improve. And um, our job is to get them competent so they can go back to their county and face their charges. So we are the only, you know, that's the only population where the prize is you get to go back to jail. Um, And some of them are very motivated to do that. Some of them, you know, malinger mental illness just to, you know, avoid, you know, or, or delay their court process. But by and large, we get some really ill guys, and um, they're they're a very fascinating um, group of guys, I would say. So, you know, over the course of time, you obviously have been able to um, secure your job with effective outcomes being met. So what kind of um, music therapy interventions would you find most successful with what kinds of outcomes for this population? Well, um, I've done a few things. Um, One of the things that we have going on in the hospital, and I don't get to do it as often as I would like, is we do have um, anger management through through music, and that's typically a drumming group. And um, um, there's a very prescribed um, model of, you know, building up to a very high level of playing and, and loudness and intensity and then this very very gradual return to baseline and it kind of mirrors what an aggressive cycle looks like in that there's a there's a, a trigger there's escalation there is um, this you know kind of crisis and then there's this, this de-escalation and back into recovery to baseline. Um, so it kind of mirrors a little bit of what we learn as employees to, to manage aggressive behavior. So that's one of the things that's done. I worked um, quite a while with the substance abuse population where there's a lot of underlying anger. And um, a lot of the anger has to do with um, uh you know, pre-verbal powerlessness and, um, you know, abuse and a lot of those things. And so I would use a lot of lyric analysis and other creative process to get them to talk about, you know, how what they felt impacted their recovery. So I would introduce a song, whatever it might be, and we would talk about the song. So out there just talking about the song, it was safe. And then after we massaged that a little bit, then we brought it closer. How does this, you know, apply to you? And then we would look at, you know, how do we make a change? And so um, over the course of 12 weeks, I would see them eat once a week, and we would, we would do this. Um, I, it was interesting. I had one, young, I had one man in group. And he was so resistive and so angry and so hard to work with. And I just thought, 
okay, I'm just going to keep going and, you know, not worry about him, just keep going with the group, keep trying to engage him. And it was about six months later, I saw him in the hallway, and he said to me, um, you were the one that did the music group in my substance abuse class, right? And I said, yes, that would be me. He goes, I really gave you a hard time. And I said, well, I, don't, I didn't take it personally. <laughs> and he says, well, he says, I just want you to know I get it now. He said, I realized that if I didn't become vulnerable and um, work on what I needed to work on, that I was not going to get better. He said, so I just want you to know I get it. So we never really know, you know, after we've terminated treatment with someone, you know, what the long-term effects are. And every once in a while I run into somebody in the hallway that say, oh, I really love that group. So um, that's what I did. Um, with the guys that are incompetent to stand trial, what I've done is um, I've done some um, improvisation um, surrounding the court information, you know, basically – you know, getting them to interact as if they were in a courtroom but using instruments. And then we've done some songwriting where we kind of write about um, what it's like to be found incompetent to stand trial and be caught up in this system. Because, again, you know, the prize is you get to go back to jail um, to wait and then face your charges. So it's a very uncertain future. It's a very um, stressful time for them. And so we would um, rewrite you know, uh, I Fought the Law or Folsom um, Prison Blues, we rewrite those songs and include their lyrics of what they're experiencing being found 1370 or incompetent to stand trial. It's such an empowering process, um, and it, it helps them to build that self esteem and, and self confidence and really embrace and accept who they are so that they can move forward. And it's such a rewarding job, isn't it? It truly is. You know, um, I've been um, fortunate to work with some good teams. Um, But, um, you know, the guys direct the treatment, basically. I, I mean, I can do the same song, you know, three weeks in a row, and it will come up with a different slant, a different perspective based on the guys that are in the group um they um they love the the opportunity to do music many of them do um and so um having that vehicle for expression has been very effective um we have about um 12 therapists at the hospital now and they're all doing all kinds of different things um, with these guys. Um, improvisation to improve socialization. Um, we have some patient bands. We have, uh, obviously, the anger management through music groups. We have some um, brain fitness through music. Um, and so, um, you know, we sort of touch on all the little areas that impact their mental health. And it's it's been a very interesting process to see it happen. Yeah. So for those listeners who are experiencing anger but maybe not have the same kinds of behavior challenges <laughs> that 
yeah, are, the, are seen in the clients that <laughs> you're working with, Mary. Um, there are ways that music can be applied as medicine to significantly reduce that. And there's a music medicine boot camp that um, is available through a link on this website to explore better what that could be like for um, our listeners that don't have those significant challenges. But what, what I really find also important for you is that when you come home from work and you might have had some uh, extreme situations occur with clients, you have to be able to shift yourself and keep yourself balanced. And so with that, you brought two pieces of music with you to the radio show. And both of them are from the Christian genre. And one of them is called How Can I Keep From Singing by Robert Lowry. And it's just interesting for me to notice that, you know, coming from a situation where there could be a a lot of anger exhibited (laughs) during the course Mm -hmm. of work because you work full time, um, Mm -hmm. to these words of How Can I Keep From Singing that says my life flow on in endless song above earth lament lamentation i hear the real of far off hymn that and it goes on and on where it's just really soft and soothing and just choir voices choral voices with a little bit of instrumental backup later on in the song. And, you know, actually when we sing it, it's much more upbeat. Oh, um, really? Okay, so yeah. you change, so you make so it faster. Sing, yeah, it's a little faster, and it's, okay. I mean, it, 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 you know, it, um, and so for me it's really uplifting, and it really gives, you know, for me it feeds my soul in terms of, you know, what music means to me and and how that you know how can i keep from singing you know above earth lamentation i hear the music ringing you know i feel the the you know far up hymn you know that sounds a new creation it's just you know the 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 way you know that it's done when we do it it's it's a little more upbeat and it's it's wonderful so what was your primary instrument going through your bachelor's degree it was voice, and I sang, so, in, I sang in choirs at yeah. uh, Cal, Cal State LA, and then um, I also sang with, after I got out of college, I continued to sing in choirs, sang with the Long Beach Box Festival, um, I sang with the Corral Bel Canto out of Whittier College, um, right now I sing with, um, uh, out of Cuesta College, which was the community college in San Luis Obispo County. Um, the North County Chorus as a founding member, and um, it's it's just you know my way of keeping my brain on straight is to have this creative outlet. Yeah, and, and I sing at church as well. So for our listeners to know that all music therapists have to be uh, very advanced on an instrument, and so for Mary, it's her voice. For myself, it's violin. And we have to be competent as music therapists in a broad stroke of instruments, including guitar and piano, as well mm-hmm. as our singing voice. Um, so it's natural for you, since voice is your major instrument, um, to gravitate to singing in choirs and preferred songs that 
emphasize choirs to bring you into a balanced state. Does that make sense? Absolutely, absolutely. And I actually feel that any person who is a music therapist, I always tell interns this, that they, A, need to bring their primary instrument into the therapy session, but they also need to be musicians outside of the therapy environment. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, music and our instrument is what we fell in love with. And we know the impact that it has on our lives. And I think that it makes us much more authentic as as therapists in general when we can bring that authenticity into the therapy environment with music. So I, I always encourage people, you know, if you're not performing, you need to be. You need to, to be doing music on a regular basis to recharge yourself and to remind yourself why you're doing this job in the first place. Yeah. So for our listeners who may not be music therapists or musicians, you can simply push play on music and derive the same um, benefit when you really start noticing how you're intentionally and purposefully self-medicating yourself with music for health. This second song that you chose, Mary, on Eagle's Wings, um, was an interesting one for me to look at. Again, a Christian song with the words that start off by saying, you who dwell in the shelter of the Lord, who abide in his shadow for life, say to the Lord, my refuge, my rock in whom I trust. And he will raise you up on eagle's wings, bear you on the breath of dawn, make you to shine like the sun, and hold you in the palm of his hand. And it goes on and on. And what it really reminded me of is the potential that you have to hold in this space working with criminals. And realizing that they, too, are under this higher power and Mm -hmm. being able to connect with that center of them that you know to be the truth about them so that you can work with them and um, let go of some of the um, extremely negative behavior that they were doing and and potential anger that you could have about it, (laughs) you know, and being able to go straight to their core. Yeah, it's really interesting because, you know, as a music therapist, I do see the environment differently. Um, I, the social worker in my office is always like, oh, you're just very sunshine, you know. And when it really mean, what it really means is, is that I don't always see the negative aspect of anything about my job. Um, I tend to... Um, you know, I, I I avoid being really cynical, and it is extremely easy to be cynical. I have my days, and it just depends on the, you know, usually it's because of a malingerer that I'll get cynical. And for those of you that know, malingering is like faking being mentally ill for secondary gain. So, um, and they can be very problematic on a unit, um, especially around guys that are less stable and functioning. But... Um, you know, my perspective as a music therapist is so, you know, you know, going to school out here in California and, and being part of the Western region, it's such a holistic kind of perspective um, is really looking at people as people first and then, you know, seeing the illness and the, and the crime, you know, secondary. Um, and, you know, we've had some guys that have come in with some pretty heinous stuff um, you know, abuse, you know, sexually abusing their children, but then you look back and they were, you know, you know, under the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia, 
And you, all you can think of is, you know, what would that must have been like, you know, and how that yeah. damaged to this person to this point. I mean, you know, what what would cause them to go over the edge, you know, and c- commit this heinous crime? And so, um, it, so as we I, we're it, coming unfortunately to the to the end of the show here, I just want to acknowledge that music therapy can absolutely embrace um, that which can look so heinous like you've been describing but can help shift. And that's why you've got such great job security is because it works. Thank you so much, Mary, for being on the show with me. You have been listening to Music for Life with Judith Pinkerton. We are located at the Music for Life Center in Las Vegas, Nevada, where we support you building mental fitness and emotional mastery. Till we meet again, notice how you purposefully self-medicate with music to build mental fitness and emotional mastery. Use music to support your life now. <laughs>